This morning we look at Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 1. Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 1. Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. And then looking over at Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 12. It simply reads, And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. I'd like to speak this morning on this subject, the threefold cord of God's favor. The threefold cord of favor. God bless you. You may be seated and thank you so much for standing. Uh, Isaiah is a very interesting book as we have been preaching from over the last few weeks. And uh, it has also been called the, uh, the fifth evangelist or the fifth gospel because within its 66 chapters are very specific and clear prophecies of, of Jesus Christ's virgin birth, his character, uh, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his second coming. I don't believe it's by accident that there are 66 books in the Bible and there are 66 chapters in Isaiah. Isaiah has so many components of the Old and the New Testament. 20 of the 27 books of the New Testament refer to Isaiah. And 12 of these books include a total of 66 direct quotations from Isaiah. Isaiah's first 39 chapters speak mostly about God's impending judgment upon his unrepentant people. But beginning with chapter 40, the emphasis of the book shifts to God's grace, to God's forgiveness, his salvation, and the restoration of his people. Grace, forgiveness, salvation, and restoration are made possible because of the ultimate reality that Isaiah describes in such detail in Isaiah 53. A Messiah will bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. He was, in fact, pierced through for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. And by his stripes or that scourging, he was our healing. He is our strength. And then comes the amazing promises of Isaiah 54 that we read in our text to you. Isaiah prophesies the restoration of God's people from Babylonian captivity back into their promised land. What's interesting is this prophecy takes place long before they were ever even taken captive. There's already a prophecy of them being restored. Isn't that just how the Lord works? He makes a way of escape before you and realize you're in trouble. 
He prepares a plan of redemption before there was even sin in the human race. The Bible says that in the mind of God, Jesus was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Well, that was long before the Garden of Eden. That was long before man fell into temptation. There was already a lamb. There was already a sacrifice. There was already a path of restoration. That's the kind of God we serve. He makes a way for you even before you realize you're in trouble. From the eight imperatives that are listed in the first two verses of Isaiah 54, I believe that they can be summarized in three basic positions that a disciple of Christ can take to grow into the grace of God's favor for each of us, especially in this hour as we move into the new year. I know that there is a lot of uncertainty in our future as our nation has shifted in its moral foundation over the last 10 to 20 years in such dramatic fashion. I know that there's a lot of uncertainty as we look to the events that are taking place around the world. But ladies and gentlemen, that's why you and I can have a confidence in the word of God that is our anchor. It is our rock. And if you have based your life on the principles of this book, I can tell you today that you can have a confidence in the future because God holds the future in the palm of his hand. And he is a God that is for you. He is not against you. He is on your side. And so as we move into this new year, we look at these promises of Isaiah 54. When the tent dwellers of Isaiah's time wanted to expand the size of their living space, they would simply sew together additional goat skins to make the roof larger. And then they would add a curtain or two to give privacy as they uh, segregated, individualized, and quartered off the inside of their tents. And so this expanded roof line, these added curtains on the inside, it would require longer cords or longer ropes because the tent had expanded. But then with the longer cords and the longer ropes, they became more susceptible to strong desert winds that would blow. Thus the tent or the stakes, the pegs, we read in history that they were made out of brass. Brass is a symbol of something that is steadfast, that is unmovable. They would have to strengthen, and drive further down into the ground, these stakes. And so from these first few verses of Isaiah 54, we lift three very specific principles that I would like to unpack in your hearing this morning. The first is to stretch the curtains. The second is to lengthen the cords. And the third is to strengthen the stakes. This, I believe, is the threefold cord of God's favor in our lives. We must stretch the curtains, we must lengthen the cords, and we must strengthen the stakes. You say, well, what does that mean in our world today? Well, let's talk for just a moment about the first one. Stretch the curtains. I believe that's vision. When God gives you a promise, sometimes, if not most of the time, it seems impossible. That's why it requires faith. 
If it was a promise that seemed very practical, very doable, it wouldn't require faith in a God that you can't see with your natural eye. And so God stretches us. He stretches our mind. He stretches our faith. He puts something in our hearts. To accommodate it, you have to enlarge your borders. You have to expand your thinking. This is why the promise that was given to Jabez and the prayer that Jabez prayed was about expanding the territory, expanding the borders. The borders are the boundaries of our logical thinking. But oh, my friend, when God puts the seed of faith in your heart to begin to believe him for something big, you got to move beyond just what your natural mind, hallelujah, can comprehend, and you've got to begin to believe him for something greater, something bigger, something larger. I want to stand today and tell everybody that's under the sound of my voice in this audience today that God has great things for you in 2024. He's not losing power. He's not going out of business. He's not lost your zip code. He knows who you are. He knows where you are. And he's got something great for you. But we have to stretch the curtains, the confines of our rational thinking. God wants to stretch us beyond that. You say that'd be impossible. That's why God's involved in it. If God's involved in it, it's impossible. If it's something that's very possible with your own strength, most likely God's not in it. God works in the realm of impossibilities. That's why it takes stretching you moving you into the realm of the impossible. You remember what the Bible said. He's able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we can ask or think. That's how great our God is. I feel like God is wanting to stretch us. He's wanting to expand our minds and our hearts and our spirits. Uh, if we look into the uh, Old Testament, we'll see this is what he did with Abraham. He promised Abraham that he'd be the father of many nations when Abraham didn't have any children. Lord, I appreciate you encouraging me out here in this desert, but there's a little problem. I don't have any kids. You're going to be not just a father, a father of many nations. How's that going to work? He promised Abraham that everywhere he stepped, that the land would be given to him. This was a promise that was given to a man without a home. He didn't even have a hometown. The Bible said he looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. But oh, my friend, uh, he's going to stretch you. Hallelujah. He wants you to believe, uh, amen, that your unsaved spouse is going to be saved in 2024. He wants you to believe uh, that that co-worker that you've been witnessing to is going to be saved in 2024. He wants you to believe that financial blessings are coming. There's strength that's coming. There's a healing that's coming. Stretch your minds. This is what he told Joshua and Caleb, he said, take the land. Don't worry about the giants. I'll take care of the giants. They had giants that lived in the mountains. They had giants that lived by the sea. They were everywhere. And they were sent by Moses over into that land with 10 other spies to spy out the land. And the 10 spies, all they could see was the giants. But Joshua and Caleb could see the promises of God. They wanted to believe we can take the land. But the people couldn't believe it. They tried to stone Joshua and Caleb. They said, we're going to elect a new captain that will take us back to Egypt. They had a wilderness mentality. They had a slavery mentality. 
They had an Egyptian mentality. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 7. Let me read a few verses in your hearing. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel. This is referring to Caleb and Joshua, saying, The land which we pass through to search it, it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, he'll bring us into this land and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Oh, hallelujah. The very thing that you're afraid of, God said, I'm going to turn it around and make it your nourishment. I feel a spirit of prophecy coming over me. I want to prophesy to somebody in this room right now that there's been people that have been tormenting you and chastising you because of your faith. It may be in your family or it may be on your job. I've come to tell you that God's going to change their heart and they're going to begin to bless you. Where they used to curse you, they are now going to bless you in Jesus' name. Their defense is departed from them. And the Lord is with us. Oh, you got to believe God is with you. I said, you got to believe God is on your side. You're not just another human being down here sucking air. You're not just another number at the Social Security Bureau. You're a child of God. You've been created in his image. You're a container of the Spirit of God. He's got his fingerprint on you. Joseph had a vision when he was a boy that he'd be a great leader because God will prepare a way of escape before there's even a crisis. What dream has God been putting in your heart for 2024? What vision has he been giving you? I encourage you to enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch the curtains. Go ahead and start to make room for it. Think big. God loves this. I said God loves this. Because it means you got faith to believe that God can do anything. Sometimes in our culture, we think it's prideful to believe for big things. We think it's too ostentatious to believe for big things. Uh, we say, well, God probably just wants us to stay small over here in the corner. No, God wants you to think big. Because if you'll start to think big, you'll realize how much you depend on him. Why do you think God loved David so much? Because even as a boy, he had big dreams. Even as a young man, he had a sense of destiny. Don't let the enemy make you small in your own eyes. I know we're nothing on our own, but with God, anything is possible. When those spies went to the promised land to spy it out. They said, we are like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Nobody else saw them as grasshoppers, but they saw themselves as grasshoppers. We're not grasshoppers. We're obstacle hoppers. We're wall hoppers. David said, by thee, O God, I have run through a troop, and by my God, I have jumped over a wall. You've got to believe you can do anything. If God's on your side, anything is possible. Stretch the curtains of your mind. That's vision. The second one is lengthen the cords. That's mission. After you expand your vision, you got to take the land. You got to make room for the miracle. After you dream it, you have to dive into it.
You got to take action. That's the mission. That's the lengthening of the cords. Numbers chapter 13 and verse 30, if we go back and we trace these three things of these different individuals, you'll see that Caleb was one who not just believed it, but he was one who was ready right then. He was ready. He had a full commitment to not just some abstract vision, but to the mission of getting his hands involved in the harvest. Woo! Here's what he said in Numbers 13:30. Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once. We ain't even waiting for 2024. We're gonna go ahead and take it right now. Some of you don't have to wait for tomorrow. You can go ahead and get your victory today. You go ahead on December 31st and say, this is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I like what Caleb said. We are well able. We're well able. That means let's go. That means make provision for the promise. Make space for the supernatural. Abraham had this promise, but when his nephew Lot and their servants were fussing over what flocks got the limited pasture land that was available, Lot said, you know, we love you, uncle, but if it seems good to you, we need to move to another place. We need more space. God has blessed us so much. There's not enough land for our flocks and our herds. Abraham had to believe that sometimes growth comes with loss. You sometimes have to invest in the kingdom to be blessed. People want the blessing, but they want it without the sacrifice. You've got to give up something to gain the blessings of God. You've got to make space for the impossible. Lot wasn't even strong enough to defend himself. He got on his own, was hanging out down there in Sodom and Gomorrah, and was defeated by the Elamites. Anytime a nation loses their morality, they begin to lose their wars. Same thing's going to happen in America. You can't live unrighteously and have the protection of God. Sodom and Gomorrah, you know the path that they were on. And so Lot and all the young men and the women and the children, they were all taken captive and all of their goods. And when Abraham heard about it, he and 318 servants, not mercenaries, he and 318 servants, took on an army that comprised of many different nationalities because little is much when God is in it. After they were successful and recovered everything and everybody, the king of Sodom, he met Abraham coming back and he said, thank you so much, you can keep all the goods for yourself, but just return the people to me. Abraham said, I lift my hand to God who is the possessor of all things on heaven and earth, and tell you that I will not take a thread or even a shoe latchet from you. I will return everything to you because I don't want you to ever say, I made Abraham rich. Abraham said, God's going to take care of me. <laughs> and I don't want you to ever try to take the credit for the blessing that God has on my life.
Oh, my friend, when God's on your hey, when God's on your side, when the favor of God is flowing through you, uh, you don't have to try to, you know, work out some kind of a backroom deal to try to be blessed. You can live above board. You can live a moral life. You can be honest in your business dealings because the favor of God doesn't require you to cheat. I don't know who that's for, but boy, I felt it. Abraham said, you're not going to give me nothing. I'm going to give it all back to you. He then turns around and pays his tithes to Melchizedek because Abraham knows the favor is from God. He not only had to stretch the curtains, but he had to lengthen the cords. He had to turn some things loose so the favor of God could flow freely. There are some of you that are in this building today that are holding on to some things that if you turn it loose and put it in the hand of God, he would bless you beyond measure. You can't have control and growth. You got to decide which one you want. If you want spiritual growth, uh, you got to give up control. You got to lengthen the cords. Uh, just before Jesus ascended to heaven, uh, he commissioned his followers to go into all the world uh, and to make disciples of all nations. Matthew 28, 19. Uh, essentially, he was saying, uh, we've got to mobilize for ministry or we've got to lengthen our cords. Uh, Jesus gave them a commission. Take this message beyond Jerusalem. Go ye into all the world. But until Paul, the disciples did not seem interested in taking this message beyond the borders of the immediate Jerusalem area. Some of the younger guys like Philip went down to Samaria and later they called Peter and John to come and baptize. But other than the surrounding area, the gospel was stuck in Jerusalem. Can I tell you that the blessings of God on this church is directly tied to our giving to missions. It is directly tied to our desire to say, God, we want to bless the work of God around the world. It's not just about what's in this building. It's about souls around the world that desire to hear that Jesus can save them, that Jesus desires to give them freedom and liberty. So you've got to lengthen your cords. Lengthen your cords. Lengthen your cords. It's not about just being my family. Lengthen your cords. It's about ministry. It's about purpose. It's about an understanding that we are committed to a cause that is bigger than ourselves. And the more we do for the kingdom of God, the more that God will do for us. That's why we talk about commitment to go in 2024. Why are we saying that? Because we're saying that we've got to lengthen our cords. You say, but old pastor, there's so much uncertainty in the world and the economy. Oh, my friend, there's nothing more certain than the word of God. There's nothing more certain than the principles of God's word. You'll never go wrong. You'll never go broke. Commit yourself to the principles of God's word. He's never failed one person in the history of humanity, and he's not going to start with you. So even if you're watching by internet, go to eastwind.church and make your commitment before the year is over. Let me quickly move to strengthen the stakes. We talk about stretching the curtains, that's vision. We talk about lengthening the cords, that's mission. But then when you've lengthened those cords and you've stretched those curtains and expanded the roof line and enlarged your tent, you got to drive those stakes down. You got to strengthen them. And that's passion. 
I said, that's passion. It's not enough to just dream it, and it's not enough to just dive into it. You have to defend it. I said, you have to defend it. Caleb had to drive out the giants. Joshua 14, 12. Now, therefore, give me this mountain. This is Joshua now. He's being talked to by Caleb. Caleb reminds him. You remember 40 years ago when you and I were the only ones that said we can take the land? Well, God's waited 40 years because he wanted all those doubters to die off. And I'll raise up the young men. I'll raise up the young women that's got a vision that anything is possible if God is in it. I wish there'd be some young people that would get a vision that East Wind's going to be the largest church in South Bavard. I wish you'd get a vision. We've laid the foundation for you. We've bought the land across the street. We've got first right of refuse on the seventh-day advance. we got another campus on Jupiter. We've laid the foundation. We just need a generation that'll rise up and say the church is not going out of business. This is the day of revival. This is the day of the latter rain. It's an outpouring of God's spirit. Caleb said, now therefore, give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day, for thou heardest in that day how the Anakims, that was another group of giants, were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be, the Lord will be with me. Then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. Ooh, you got to drive out the giants. That's how you strengthen the stakes. You got to get passionate about the work of God. This ain't just some country club that we come to once a week to make contact with other people so our businesses will grow. Some sort of network Shriners club. That's not who we are. You got to get passionate. You got to be like Paul. In him we live and move and have our being. Drive out the giants. The giants of casualness. The giants of no commitment. The giants of prayerlessness. The giants of busyness. The giants of comfort. The giants of no sacrifice. Come on, you got to strengthen your stakes. You got to get passionate. I don't care what it costs. That's what the disciples had to get. They had to say, even if it's my own life. Abraham was challenged with taking his son Isaac. And then the Bible says, his only son Isaac to the top of Mount Moriah for a sacrifice. But it was only after Abraham strengthened the stakes of his passion for God's word that God blessed him with another promise. He said, now the nations that bless you, I will bless them. Every time you strengthen the stakes, the promises of God expand. Since he already had a promise of being a great nation, but when he strengthened the stake with obedience, the promise grew. We've got to strengthen the stakes in 2024 by renewing our love for the doctrine. We got to strengthen our stakes on the revelation of the identity of Jesus. It still takes repentance and baptism in Jesus' name. It still takes the infilling of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. It still takes living a holy life according to biblical principles. We've got to strengthen our stakes. This is not one size fits all. This is not do whatever seemeth right in your own eyes. We're living according to the principles of God's word. You've got to put your stakes down strong. 
Woo, you got to make up in your mind. It's the death, burial, and resurrection. Drive out the giants of doubt. Drive out the giants of fear. Strengthen your stakes in your commitment to the word of God. Strengthen your stakes in passion for prayer. I ordered 500 of these tracks, and I'm going to ask you to join me starting tomorrow on a 30-day prayer journal, and all these ushers are going to have them in their hand as you leave the building today. Each day, starting on day one, which will be tomorrow, January 1st, there's a scripture there, Genesis 6, 8, and you just take that scripture and you just pray that scripture on the first day, and then the second day, there's another scripture in Psalms 139, day two, you pray that, and for 30 days, you pray the word of God. I've also been so intrigued, and I'm going to introduce it to you as we get into January, but I've been so intrigued with this book of praying the names of God. Oh my goodness, there's so much depth in that. I believe God's wanting to call his church to a place of passion and commitment. Oh, there's so many other things that you can start your year with, but I'm so glad you're in the house of the Lord today. I want to start out 2024. I want to start it out with 30 days of commitment, 30 days of passion. Come on, let's say, God, nothing else matters except my strength in the stake of my love for you. If you commit to strengthening the stakes, stretching your dreams, and lengthening the cords, I believe God is going to anoint. He is going to send favor that will blow your mind. But we have to do these three things because a threefold cord is not easily broken. I know the enemy will throw everything at you that he can, but a threefold cord is not easily broken. I felt to do something this morning, and Bishop is not well, and the Richies are running fireworks tents, so it's just David Ellis and the great saints of East Wind and the anointing of the Holy Ghost and my shofar. So I'm bringing out the heavy artillery today. Because I got to studying about this, and I didn't realize this, but the shofar is not anything that's new to the Jews. This shofar is especially cool because it's made from a kudu horn. Most of the shofars come from ram's horns. They're a little smaller. But this is a kudu horn. It was given to me by the missionary in, in Israel. Here it is in Hebrew. The Lord our God is one, and over here is the lion and the thicket and the lamb. That's all about prophecies of Messiah. And then over here, <laughs> I don't know if you can see it or not. This is all done with brass and pewter because it's the only thing that'll stick to a kudu horn. But over here is a, is a picture of them in the upper room with a little flame of fire on the top of each one of their heads. And it has the verse quoted and it says, and they all spake with tongues. This was made in Israel by the rabbis. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He's the lion and the lamb, the prophecies of the Messiah, and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Oh, my friend, I tell you, I feel victory in the house of God today. 
You may have come in here tired. You may have come in here weary. But can I tell you, you're serving a God that's never lost one battle. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And beside him, there is no other. Stand to your feet. Everybody that can, gather in the altar. Get down here as close as you can. If you can't get in the altar, get in the aisle. On Rosh Hashanah, it is sounded in the synagogue to call the Jewish people to a spiritual reawakening as the religious new year begins. They use the shofar to kick off a 10-day period of self-examination of the new year. They started, that's what Rosh Hashanah is. It's the beginning of the spiritual new year. The shofar is also sounded on Yom Kippur, which is the day of atonement as a call for repentance and sacrifice. And listen to this, and the love of the Turan. When we blow this shofar, woo, we're saying, Lord, we're committing ourselves to the word of God. We're committing ourselves to the plan of God, the repentance and sacrifice. When Joshua was ready to take the land under God's direction, they were instructed to blow the horns of the shofar. Joshua 6.3, and you shall come past the city for 40 years. They've been wandering in doubt in the wilderness. The vision had been given to Caleb and Joshua tried to tell them but they were too fearful. 40 years later, now Joshua's getting ready to lead them into the promised land. Caleb's saying, give me the mountain. I'll drive out the giants. I may be old, but I can still fight. Good God Almighty. I want to say something to somebody here today. You may be physically old, but you've got experience of fighting the devils in the spirit world. We need your prayers. We need some pioneers of the gospel that will pray the prayer of faith and say, hey, God's going to give us the victory. God's going to give us the next generation. God's going to expand our borders. Hallelujah. He shall come past the city, all ye men of war. You getting ready with that video? Get ready. All ye men of war, go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days, and seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. You say, trumpets? That's not a trumpet. That's the shofar. Trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day ye shall come past the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout and the wall of the city shall fall down flat. Well, I feel some walls are gonna come down. I feel some giants are gonna be defeated in this service today. Woo, hallelujah.
And Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said unto them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. The ark represented the presence of God. And the blast on the shofar represented a call to war. I'm going to show you a quick two-minute video. This is a Jewish boy surrounded by Israeli soldiers that are getting ready to go and fight in the Gaza area just a few weeks ago. Before they go to battle, he's going to blow the shofar. This is 2023.
got a couple of minutes? I want us to have very specific shouts of faith and commitment. And the first thing that I feel in the Holy Ghost is I want us to shout in just a moment for the victory over people that are dealing with sickness, people right now that are struggling with cancer that don't even have the strength to be in the house of God. I declare war on cancer. I declare war on sickness. Come on, we need some intercessors that'll go to war for strength and health. Victory in Jesus. Victory in Jesus. You shall be healed. You shall be made whole. The walls have to come down. The giants have to flee. Somebody's getting the passion. Somebody's strengthening the stakes. Jesus. That is not one size fits all. The Bible says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We're renewing our commitment to the Word of God. We're renewing our commitment to be a prayerful people. And we are renewing our commitment to be faithful to the house of God. There's nothing more important than being in the house of God. Are you ready? You ready to declare war on those giants? Get ready to shout. In the name of Jesus! We commit ourselves to prayer. We commit ourselves to the doctrine. We commit ourselves to your house. We commit ourselves to the mission. 
We're not living for ourselves. We are living for your kingdom. other young people put your hand on somebody pray for come on greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world drive out the giants of selfishness drive out the giants of self-reliance we need you, Jesus. We need each other. All of my fear I will turn into praise. Shake off despair as I sing out your name. A victory dance, I will dance out in faith. I will crush disappointment. 